0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm Alvin, for those of you here for the first time. uh, serve as lead pastor at the church, and I'm glad to have you with us. It's an honor. It's always a privilege to minister and to worship with uh, familiar faces, but also new ones. So I'm, I hope you enjoy yourself. I've really enjoyed the music team already, and uh, hopefully we can keep The goodness going with with the word I do want to give one uh, special push for those who are interested in leading a life group our last training uh, is Saturday Saturday so if you want to come just sign up LG lead is what you type to seven seven four one one and we would love to just get you involved if you're interested in leading a life group it's a great training and it's a great way to serve in our church so this Saturday last chance for a few months and then uh, you'll have another chance to do it later on this year. But yeah, I'm 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 excited about Life Groups. Uh, we've got cool announcement. I'm going to save it to the end. But uh, God is doing some great stuff at Nashville Life. I love that uh, we're about to celebrate 10 years. It's amazing. Um, nine of those years was under this man's leadership. My father, lead pastor, uh, founding pastor. Uh, he and my mom led the charge, and I just took it on, so I can't really take much credit for the past 10 years. I've only, I'm only a year in, but uh, I'm grateful to, to carry the torch. Um, but yeah, we are going to get into the Word. I'm really excited about the Word today. Before we get into it, i like to do our declaration together uh, before we get into scriptures. So repeat after me, uh, the Word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, so the theme for 2022, you've heard this before if you are a returner, but if you're the first time here, I want to make sure everybody's caught up. Uh, it's withstanding the wind. That's the theme for Nashville life all year long. And it's uh, inspired by one little p- powerful passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, and it's John the Baptist who's talking about Jesus who's entering the scene in a few moments, and he describes Jesus as such. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Uh, The winnowing process that John is referring to is is a process that's done when you're harvesting wheat. And it's a separation process. Uh, There's there's wheat, the part that we do eat, and then there's chaff, it's the substance that we don't eat. And before collecting the final harvest, it has to go through the separation process that's uh, really done by the wind, Thing about chaff, the part that we don't eat, the part that's done away with. It's very light, and it's loose, so the slightest of winds causes it to blow away. But the wheat, the part that's the actual harvest, has a, a built-in weight to it that can withstand the wind. And this is a metaphor for what Jesus is doing right now. Jesus is collecting a harvest. He's preparing a harvest, but But instead of wheat, the harvest is people. The harvest is people. And a part of the harvest, like winnowing wheat, there is a separation process that's necessary because there's parts of the harvest that don't actually belong to him. And the way that you can reveal what really belongs to Christ and what doesn't is wind. Wind is a a tester. And if you are rooted in Christ by faith, the winds, no matter how strong, you will still stay rooted in Christ. Um, Unfortunately, though, the Bible says that many people are going to prove to not actually be wheat. And the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away in the last days. There's going to be a lot of people who, who profess Jesus and believe in him. But because of the winds of our time and because of the challenges and the temptations and the doubts and the attacks, They're going to leave the faith, actually say, I don't believe in that anymore. And it's super sad, but it's very true. And it's not meant to scare us as much as it is to sober us and prepare us so that not if, but when the winds hit our life, though we will be challenged by it, we will not be blown away. Um, And that's that's easier said than done. We can say that, but it takes... uh, It takes testing. Our faith must go through tests for us to see that it's durable, to see that it's able to withstand adversity. So each month, I'm covering a different wind, and that wind represents the adversity that really tests the harvest of Jesus, the people who are following him. Uh, The first month was the wind of abandonment. We talked about uh, the wind of abandonment really challenging the church and really causing people to fall away and leave their commitments and leave their relationships, and really saying that we have to try our hardest to, to really stay in the faith and to really, to really stay faithful and, and, and moving forward with Jesus. Um, the second thing was uh, self-dependence. That was February, about our tendency to, to reject God's grace and depend on our own strength and our own resources and how that's a trap that we do not want to fall into. This month we have a different wind we want to talk about, and that is the wind of offense. The winds of offense are blowing very strongly in our day, in our time. Uh, I don't think I've, um, yeah, ever known such a mass tendency uh, to be easily offended. Um, our time—it seems that I'm just—it's just—it's just seeped in the culture, and there's too many saints of God that. They're just one, one inch away from being triggered and one inch away of being just blowing off the top, and, and it's, it's not of God. The Bible says that love is not easily offended. The love of God is not something that, that has a short fuse. And when we see how easy it is for us to, to feel attacked and to feel threatened and to feel uh, anxious and it's, it's, it's not of the Lord, and it's an indicator of something else. The Bible says, another thing that the Bible prophesies is that the love of many, and by the love, I mean the love of God, in many of the church is going to start to grow colder and colder over time. So the passionate love that we have for him and have for each other, the Bible says that many people are going to fall into a, 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 a place in life where their love for God and their love for his people starts to get colder and colder. And I happen to believe that offense is one of the leading causes in the love growing cold in the hearts of God's people. And I think we should be aware of this. The definition of offense in Webster, it's a lot, but I wanted to just, yeah, share it. It says, something that outrages the moral or physical senses, the act of displeasing or affronting, the state of being insulted or morally outraged, the means or method of attacking or of attempting to score a breach of a moral or social code. Offense is unfortunate by nature. It's not something that is enjoyed being offended um, by nature. It, it's, it's unfavorable. It's unfortunate. And that's from the, the lightest use of the word to the most weighty use of the word. When I think of a light use of the word offense, I think of sports. There's an offensive team, right? And their role is to hinder the other team from scoring. So at the very essence, offense has a way of making you feel hindered from progressing in your life. Uh, it's, it's a hindrance to where you want to go. When you feel offended... Um, you're, you're, it's like your stride has been broken. You were going a different way, and then someone stopped you in your tracks and got in the way of where you were headed. That's, in, in essence, that's what offense is. It can be a hindrance to your growth and confidence. It can be a hindrance to your growth of security or feeling secure, feeling confident, feeling secure. Offense has a way of hindering that, that, that sense of, of ability to, to be confident and to be secure, to be progressive, to be victorious. Um, the weightiest, the weightiest way uh, uh, that offense can hinder you is it can hinder your your sense of wholeness as a person. I know many people, including myself, who've been offended in ways that actually can really hurt you to the core of who you are, and and damage you to where it's you're not even the full person that you were prior to that offense. Um, the weightiest offenses can actually keep you. Um, from eternity with Christ, it can keep you out of heaven. Um, The Bible talks about when we don't handle offense biblically, we can actually forfeit our home with God. So this is not a light matter, and it's a very universal one, and it's one that we should all uh, take heed to and not count ourselves out. Please, before we move forward, do not count yourself out of this message. Because scripture indicates that we're all in this. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 says, Then he said to the disciples, this is Jesus speaking, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. So it's definitely uh, can be said that it's it's to offend other people is 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 not the way of God. God does not want us uh, walking in offensive natures, in ways that, that, that harm people or ways that, that hinder people from their growth. We should be encouraging people. We should be people that are propelling people to victory, not hindering their victory, right? But this message isn't about the offender. I think a lot more of us in this room identify with being offended than being offensive, um, even no matter how many times we've been offensive, the ones that the, the accounts that play the loudest in our brain are the times when we were offended. Uh, so that's the, the purpose of this month is really focusing specifically on being on the receiving end of offense and uh, how that works. Things about, think about, think, think, think about human beings are when we are offended, um, it's very important, very important to human beings to have someone to blame uh it's just we just have to there's got to be someone that we can point a finger to we can't even sleep until we can point it to somebody or something um literally we won't sleep until (laughs) until we trace it to something because it's important that we direct our emotions and our anger and our animosity and our retaliation to something and that's actually not all wrong What's wrong is how we misdirect where that blame should go. We we misplace the blame. And instead of blaming what the word says that we should blame, we are blaming the wrong people. And it ends up creating chaos. And the very thing that we try to do to make things better only intensifies the issue. The Bible makes it clear where the source of our primary offenses come from. And it's not who we normally think it is. It's not who we think it is normally. The first culprit is uh, our evil spirits. Evil spirits. And I know that sounds a little extreme, but trust me, this is the truth. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. Many of you guys have heard this before. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, there's that word, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The purpose of this message and the purpose of this scripture are the same things. God is trying to train his church to be able to withstand the the pressures and the traps that can cause us to fall away. He wants us to be suited. He wants us to be rooted. He wants us to be protected on all fronts because if we're not, we'll become vulnerable and we'll be conquered by the evil day instead of conquerors of the evil day. The key words in here that I want us to point attention when the Lord is trying to show us who our enemy is, is words like cosmic powers. That means celestial. That means out in space. That means not here on earth. Spiritual forces, not physical ones. Yes, spiritual forces use the vessels of physical people, but physical people, the Bible is telling us, is not the enemy. The, the person in the face that you're targeting your anger towards is the wrong guy. It's the spiritual forces behind that face. And too many of us are punching faces instead of punching spirits. We're rebuking faces. We're rebuking races. We're rebuking parties. And we're not realizing that it's the spiritual forces behind it. And we're missing the whole point. We're missing the whole point. We're wasting time. We're wasting energy. And we're only glorifying Satan. Heavenly places, not earthly places. The war is in the heavenlies. And we have too many carnal Christians who are not spiritual people. We have too many people who are claiming Christ, but you're not spiritual. And you're wrestling, you're wrestling the enemy the same way a non-believer would. Directing it to people. And not understanding that there is a whole world bigger than the earth. That's the unseen world, and God is trying to direct our attention there because that's where we should be directing our our retaliation. The second culprit that the word says is the source of our offenses is, again, not probably what you think, and it's in James chapter 4, 1 through 4. And it says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Plot twist. It's us. It's not even them. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Before I go any further, I know when you hear the word murder, you go, oh, he's not talking to me. I don't murder. Okay, in the spirit, Jesus says murder is equivalent to hating your brother. He says if you've hated Anyone, you've committed murder. Jesus registers us hating people the same way as he registered you taking a knife and cutting somebody up. I know that's very violent. But in the spirit, it's the same. He says to hate your brother is committing murder. Again, I know, we don't look at, I, don't, I know we don't look at it like that. I know human beings don't consider it like that. We Human beings, we have hierarchies of sins, and we think that God honors them. We really think that God was like, okay, cool, that's how y'all built it? Sweet. Let's do it like that. That's not our space. We might go, well, yeah, I was just looking at her lustfully. I didn't actually do anything. Jesus says it's the same thing. Jesus says looking at someone lustfully is committing adultery. I know we don't look like that. We go, it's not as bad. It's the same according to Jesus. And if you're going to be a part of his church, and if you're going to be his people, we've got to do things his way. I know that doesn't make us feel as awesome as maybe it would if we thought we had a stake in this, but like we, we can't make up the rules. We can only follow them. Or not and suffer. It's different. <laughs> it's different in here. Uh, the Bible calls us to a different world, a different life. And he says, You adulterous people, and this is how I know he's talking about the church. You can't commit adultery if you're not married. Yeah. Fornication and adultery are two different things. Adultery requires a spouse. So if God is talking to an adulterous people, he's talking to the church. We're the ones married to Christ. You can't be adulterous and single. That's how I know he's talking about the church. The murder that he's talking, he's talking about Christians. Christians are committing murder in their hearts. He goes, you adulterous people, and this is how he's going to explain the adultery. He goes, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Because we're like, how are we committing adultery? I'm at church. I'm not committing adultery. He goes, if you are a friend with the world's systems and the world's way of doing things, you have made yourself an enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. So what he's saying is we've got a lot of church people, a lot of Christians who have adopted worldly ways. And it's, it registers to the Lord as adultery. Because you can't be with God and, still, and not be with his way. Like God is one with his way. We can't say, I'm cool with God, I'm just not cool with the way God tells me to live. God is synonymous with his way. So if we're with God but we're doing things a different way, he calls us adulterous. So the first culprit to our offenses is evil spirits. The second one is internal contradictions. We have contradictions from with inside of our hearts, inside of us. There's a war happening right now of the part of you that wants to do the right thing and the part of you that hates the right thing. Amen. And the Bible says that th- these two parts of us are at war. And when we, don't have a, when we don't know how to fight these wars, we end up fighting each other because we're just frustrated with ourselves. Half of our rage towards each other is actually insecurity within us. Easily offended people don't like themselves. I promise you that if you get to the root, there is a self-loathing, self-hating spirit and you, 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 you assume the worst because basically it's already, what, it's already what you're telling yourself anyway. You're looking for something to magnify what you're already telling yourself at night. The word says that this is the source of the quarrels. The fights that we're having with each other It's not even about the people outside. It's about what's happening in your own heart. Being easily offended says more about you than the person who offended you. I promise you that. Being easily offended says more about your own constitution than the person that's inflicting the harm. Bigger picture. Jesus says something really great in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, just to show you all I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> Verse 3, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Now, Jesus is using his words on purpose. Planks are bigger than specks. He's trying to make a point. Verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Jesus is really letting us have it. Verse 5, he says, hypocrite. Now, I just want you all to know, like, Yes, I'm all about sweet manger baby Jesus. <laughs> but some of us aren't reading the full story. And we're taking an aspect of Jesus and we're making that the totality of Jesus. Jesus used harsh words, guys. I was, First service I was laughing saying, <laughs> I don't know how I get in trouble sometimes, like, I say things, and I don't say things nearly as blunt as the word says it. And I was like, man, Jesus always remains sweet in the alls book. He can say all kinds of things. I'm like, man, he can get away with everything. That was amazing because he says, he says hypocrite. I called it internal contradictions. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to help you guys, you know, not hate me. And Jesus is like, forget that. These are hypocrites. And it's, it's, it's just, but yet he's, he's still so sweet, and y'all, I'm amazed. Y'all still think he's so sweet, and he is. And I'm glad, I would rather y'all like him than like me, trust me. But, come on. Give a man a break, come on. Hypocrite, he says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love this passage. This last part shows, guys, in case you're letting the enemy get in your head, this is not a message condoning your offenders. I'm not denying that you've been offended. I'm not saying that person wasn't wrong. I'm not saying that person didn't wrong you. Some of you guys have been severely wrong. It's not even perception of offense. Like, it's legitimate offense. This passage shows that Jesus isn't saying, pretend that it didn't happen, or they didn't do anything to you, stop crying about it. That's not the message of Jesus. He's talking about process. The Lord gives us processes on how to do things, which is where this word, what is this, Can you, this word says, first. Can everyone say First. Not second, not third, first. When Jesus is telling us what to do first, he's giving us the order of how you do things. The Lord doesn't just tell us what to do, but he gives us the order and how to do it. So he goes, let's say you are hurt. Let's say there is a, a speck in your brother's eye. Let's say your brother or your sister is wrong. and Let's say it's offending you. He's not saying pretend that it doesn't happen. He goes, first, before you deal with them, remove the plank in your eye. He's saying when you are offended, when you notice flaws in other people, he goes, before you start to rebuke them, before you start to call them out, just take a second and assess your own life and go, what sins are active in my life? Where have I been wrong? How have I done the same thing that I'm mad at this person for doing? And the Bible shows us that if we do that again... It's not for us to feel bad about ourselves or to put, us, put ourselves down. The Bible says that a person who assesses their own faults first is in a, in a better position to point out the faults in other people. But what we do is we, we, we mess up the order. We want to jump and, and correct others first. And it doesn't work well. When you do things out of order, almost like baking a cake. Like if you don't do it in the proper order, the cake doesn't come out right. Jesus' instructions, are like, that. they're not very, like, there's not not a lot of margin for, like, switching it around. You have to do it the way that he laid it out for you to do it. And the reason why is for these two words right here, love and unity. And I'm going to end right here. Love and unity are the greatest assets that we have as a church. When we lose these two things, we are no different than anybody else. The Bible says, once salt loses its taste, what good is it? I'm going to go as far as say, when the church is no longer in love and unity, we are worthless. worthless, not even kind of good. worthless. Without love and without unity. The Bible says that these two things are what makes people think that, uh, see that we are uh, of Jesus. They'll know us by our love. In John 17, Jesus says, when the church is unified, then the world will believe. And I don't don't know many things that attack these two things more than being offended. When you have offense active in your life, not only does your love and passion and affection go low, but you also want to distance yourself and you start to protect yourself. And it starts to create divisions where there wasn't division. So the, we have to understand there's a bigger plot here. There's a bigger picture here. And, I, and, and I'm trying to get a lot in. I thank God I have a series. So we, we have f- a few more weeks to unpack this. But are you okay? Okay. Okay. Offense makes you nearsighted. And you only see your pain. When you're offended, you only see your pain. Now, it's one thing to acknowledge pain. That's healthy. It's another thing to only see your pain. That's dangerous. That's like driving on the street with your eyes closed, which is where we get the title, the, the saying, hurt people. It's a cycle. When, you, when you're offended, all you see is your pain, so you don't see the bigger picture. And I'm trying to show us the church, next time you're offended, next time someone hurts your feelings, because it will happen. It might even happen as soon as the Nolansville Road. <laughs> when someone offends you, take it from me. Take a step back. And see the full picture. The enemy doesn't want you seeing how you holding on to your offense is going to make things worse. He just wants you to see yourself as the victim. He wants to see yourself because as long as you're the victim, you cannot see how you have any responsibility in the matter. And I know this sounds bad, but like this is what actually make offenders. And I know this is going to sound bad, but offenders are kind of at an advantage when it comes to this because people who commit offense, it's easier for them to take responsibility for the matter because they're like, I did it. Yeah, I did that. It's easier for them to see how they're responsible. When you're offended, it's harder for you to see how you're responsible for anything because it was done to you. I was just minding my own business. They came and pushed me. They hit me first. They called me out. You know, they, they made fun of me first. So as long as we are and, and we, we fall into the same trap that we've done since we were kids and we think that if I'm wrong back, then that's going to make it right. And we learn in kindergarten, two wrongs don't what? So something's wrong to us. We get wronged, right? But then when we hold on to offense, it gives birth to bitterness and resentment and self-righteousness, and unforgiveness, and before you know it, the one who offended you, he's forgiven, and the one who got offended is not. And it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. Like, the enemy doesn't want you to see it. He wants you to think as long as you're offended, you have no responsibility in this. And you just sit, and you're waiting for justice to be served, and you're waiting, and, and basically, while you wait, that, that offense matures, and it turns into something else. And it might be one week, it might be two weeks, it might be five weeks, it might be five years, but it never fails. When you hold on to offense, before you knew it, know it, it's a very scary revelation. You will find yourself in the same seat of the person who hurt you, doing it to someone else. And that's when it's, talk about the, the crow going off, Peter, like hearing in the, the, the rooster crow, like it's, it's crazy when you open your eyes and see, I have become the person who hurt me i have become the offender guys it's a cycle that it is your if, for those of you who have been offended it is your responsibility not your offender's responsibility to stop the cycle we think when they get punished when they get told out when they change then the world will be better that's what we think but god goes it's the opposite it's when the offended take responsibility that the cycle stops I'm not condoning what's been done to you. I'm not saying that the offense is not legitimate. I'm not saying that you weren't hurt. I'm not saying that, that justice should not be served. I'm not saying that you are making this up and you have no reason to be hurt. I'm telling you that the hurt that you feel is not a destination. It's, it's, it's a starting point. The hurt is where it starts. And if we don't learn how to process the hurt, it will mature to something that we did not sign up for or knowingly sign up for. This month is meant to show the deceptive tool of being offended. And as the church, we will have to build the ability to withstand the temptation and the tendency to hold on to offense. Some of you guys are like, well, I've never, I've never done those things. I've never, I've never, I've never offended, you know. Anybody else, not like that at least. I might have done some things, but I've never done that. I've never done that. And that's what offense does too. Offense magnifies the wrongs of others. And all you'll say about yourself is, well, I'm not perfect. We're real short about that. I'm not, But, but everybody else's offenses, we've got details. We've got details, and for us, it's just a broad stroke of I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm not perfect, but they did. This on Tuesday, this, this on Wednesday, this on Thursday. We have to repent because it's, it's, it's diminishing the love and the unity of the church, and it's taking away our power. Yes. It's taking away our impact. It's taking away our influence. It's taking away the very thing that makes us shine. The songs, guys, don't make us shine. I'm sorry. They're great. I'm a songwriter. I love songs. The songs are biblical but they don't this is what causes us to shine. If we want to break through the darkness in 2022, it's not going to happen without these two. Yes. Yes. I'll end with this. There's not a single thing that I have done. No, there's, there's there's not a single thing that I that has hurt me. I can't think of a single time where I've been offended. by something that I haven't done myself. But God, they, they told me this and, and, they, and they lied to me. They lied to me, God. Holy Spirit so gently says, but how much have you lied to me? Okay, <laughs> but 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 they, they they did all these they 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 did they, they, they abused me they did the, how many times have you misused me how many times have you and it's not to condemn me but it's to open my eyes guys when you understand the offenses that you have done it's impossible to process your perpetrators and your offenders in the same way that you would not being aware of what you've done to the Lord. Guys, we've done things to each other, but more importantly, we've done things to him. We don't think about that enough. We think, okay, like, who have I hurt? God goes, what about me? When when, when God says, uh, you've robbed me, they go, how have we robbed you? Like, we don't think about hurting God. We just don't think about it. We don't think about it enough. The Lord goes, you guys have... Done those things to me. So all I'm saying is, and I'm, I don't hold it against you, but also I don't want you to hold it against that person. That's where the Lord works. I'm not going to hold it against you, but don't let me see you hold the other person the same who did the same thing. Don't let me see. If I'm, if I'm giving you mercy and I'm not judging you harshly, that's cool, but the, we see in Scripture from that parable, when the Lord sees us judge people who did the same thing that we did to God, to us and we judge them harshly, that's when he's like, oh, well then the deal's off. Remember the story where the person owed someone a whole lot of money and was forgiven of that debt and then someone owed them a little bit and they were harsh to them? When the judge found out, he was like, you got to pay everything back. Guys, when we are offended, we we can't forget that we have done the same things. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Jesus all of our mistakes, all of the offensive things that we've said against God, against his ways, against his people. Some of us need to repent for the ways that we have talked about people. Just so you guys know, God takes it personally when you talk about his people. When Miriam and Aaron were were, were criticizing Moses, God says, you're making fun of my servant. Like, he doesn't go, that's not me. No, he takes it personal. Parents, if someone puts down your kid, it's as if they did it to you. So we as Christians, guys, I don't, I've told people before, I don't feel comfortable, like, talking down against God's people. I don't care what mistakes they made because it's, that's for the Lord. Like, I, don't, I can't, and I don't want to deal, the Bible says if you, if you judge other people harshly, you're going to be judged harshly. I know I'm saying a lot, but it's, it's truth. The best key, the best way to free yourself from being easily offended and slipping into bitterness and self-righteousness and all the ugly things that come with offense is remembering Jesus. That's the final phrase for today. Remember Jesus. Remember the wounds that he bore, the, the crown of thorns that he endured, the nails in his hand that your sins put there. It is our sins that put Jesus on the cross. And yes, people have hurt us. People have done wrong things to us. But what will save you from holding on to the offense and becoming bitter is just to remember how much you've been forgiven of. If you have a clear idea of how much you've been forgiven of, I promise you, it will be very difficult for you to hold on to offense. Just remember like the Holy Spirit did with me. Whenever I wanted to get on my high horse because somebody let me down or somebody said one thing and did something else or, you know, said nice things in my face and then bad stuff behind my back, the Holy Spirit goes, Alvin, you did the same things. You said, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. And then with your friends, you're like, oh, I don't know him. Like, I did that. So I was like, oh, man, we're all in this together. We all need, to, we all need forgiveness. We all need mercy. We all have been offensive. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for reminding us that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. And Lord, I thank you that that doesn't mean that that you are making light of the ways that we have been offended and you're making light of the of the pain that people have inflicted on us whether from insults or actual physical attacks, Lord, or or subtle things or whatever, God, like I just pray, Lord, that you help us see that you see those hurts and you care about those hurts, but you also care about us not slipping into bitterness. Lord, I pray, Lord, that any of us who are carrying any offense, any offense that whether perceived or legitimate crimes against us, God, I pray, Lord, that we would boldly and courageously lay those offenses at your feet. I pray, Lord, that we would let go of the offenses not condoning or what what people did but understanding lord that if this offense stays in our hearts god it'll turn into something else it'll turn us to something that we, that we that you have not called us to be so lord we repent of any bitterness any unforgiveness any self righteousness lord any times that we've blamed each other when we should have been Rebuking the devil. Times that we've, times that we have blamed each other when there's wars happening inside of our hearts. Father, we just, we just lay these things at your feet, God. Thank you, Lord. I pray this month, as we talk about the winds of offense, God, that anything that's been hidden in our hearts or things that we've forgotten about, Lord, we give you permission to bring it to the surface so that we can go into April more free, more forgiving, less easily offended. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to invite everyone here to say yes to Jesus. Jesus wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to give you a whole new perspective on the sins that have been committed against you. And he wants to process you in a way that it actually brings glory to his name and healing to others. I know there's a lot of hurt people in this room. I know it. Because the world is cruel out here. The world is very dark. But the Lord is saying there is a better way. There's a better way out than holding on to that offense. So repeat these words after me so we can approach God. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's just celebrate the goodness of God. His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. Really quick, I told you guys I was going to give you a a quick announcement. Our staff and our creative team has been going through a great series uh, led by the author John Bevere, who wrote the bestseller, uh, The Bait of Satan, and John Bevere is coming to Nashville Life to preach in two weeks, and this man is powerful. He speaks about the the deceptive tactic of offense and what it does to the church, and I just know he's going to bring a lot of clarity, a lot of healing, and a lot of deliverance through whatever whatever the Lord gives for him to share while he's here. So please come back on the 20th, invite your friends, and uh, I'm excited to have Mr. John Bevere here. Um, if you said yes to Jesus got a prayer team that's going to be here. We're here to pray for you. Even if you have prayer needs outside of salvation, come on down. We'll be happy to serve you. If you would like to go to Next Steps, our Next Steps class starts right after we dismiss on the third floor. Please come, get more connected to the church. It won't be long. I'm leading this time, this uh, this meeting. We've got Daniel and Maria here for prayer. And then lastly, if you'd like to give, uh, you can give online. Our, our finance team is in the back. And they'll be happy to receive your offering. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for healing us and saving us from, from offense, God. And I pray, Lord, that our church will be more loving and more unified after this series. And I thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of your day.